Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. What's up, Elo? How about Jeffrey? A busy, busy week for everybody. Oh yeah, it has been. It feels like feels like we're, we we just got through the sports equinox, right? And now we're now that now it's the UCF sports equinox, which we're gonna talk a lot about. It. We got we got basketball on tap this week. We both women's and men's. We've got a busy show for you here. UCF football, bull bound. That's what we're going to lead off here today. We'll talk about riff on that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Aaron Campbell, former UCF volleyball player Aaron Campbell, about the, about the Knights' uh, last home weekend of the volleyball season. Uh, and uh, let's see what else we have. Oh, uh, we'll talk a little men's soccer, uh, some news on that end. And, uh, yeah, so we'll just kind of – so we've got a lot to – go through this weekend you know even though uh soccer is over basketball is only just getting started so don't a reminder you can follow us at ucf underscore banneret on twitter don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you are if you haven't already on itunes uh soundcloud and also google play you can follow me at jeff underscore sharon you can follow eric at eric lopez elo and don't forget to look up the black and gold banneret on facebook as well so all right elo let's get started i can't believe it but Maybe we should have believed it. UCF football is going to a bowl game. Knights defeat Cincinnati. Again, the defense was the key at home. Second game of this three-game homestand towards the end of the year. And uh, with that, the Knights are at six wins. And they are bowl-bound. With two games left to go, they could kind of spike the football a little bit, if you will, if they can snag one of these games or even both of them. But, um, you know, let's stand back and admire what has happened this year coming off an 0 and 12 season. And I wrote about this in a post on uh, black and gold which you can read and I'll put in the show notes that I think Scott Frost should be a shoe win for the American athletic conference coach of the year and should, get, wow. uh, should get wow. a look. look at you agitating people in yeah. Annapolis right now. You're agitating I, people. Yeah. You know, he's not going to win, right? I mean, you, I mean, you could think he should be not. Let me make, I mean, I, let me make my case. Let me make my case. Right. So I think he should get even consideration for National Coach of the Year. And here's why. Scott Frost is going to be the first FBS head coach to take a team that was winless to a bowl game the following year since... George O'Leary. George O'Leary, that's right, 2005. And George O'Leary won uh, Conference USA Coach of the Year that year and... He won uh, two National Head Coach of the Year awards, I think Sports Illustrated and CBSSportsLine.com. So there is precedent for this. And uh, I went back and I looked at all the winless teams 
since, I think, 2001. And the Knights are the only two to get to a bowl game. I think the only one who even came... In fact, they're the only ones who've actually put up a winning record in the following year after, an Owen, after a winless season. Washington, I think, came the closest. They went 5-7 and seven the year after they canned uh, Ty Willingham. But uh, I've made my case for Scott Frost. The, uh, cho- the culture change has been thorough. What say you? The thing you missed, you left out, George won eight games in 05. It was, you know, he went from zero wins to eight wins, the biggest turnaround in the history of college football at the time. That's still so, possible here, though. Well, that's the thing. I think he, it, for him to have a shot to win Coach of the Year, I think he has to win the next two games at eight wins. Uh, I don't think he will win the award at six and six or even seven and five. Uh, either one, because it's not the we've been there, done that type of thing, but which is by fault. But here's the thing: I think if you force me, I mean, first of all, I have, knowing coaches like I do, a lot of these awards, especially conference awards, coaches usually in, uh, tend to vote on this stuff or have influence on the voting and all that stuff. I think the Navy coach, Ken uh, Nanatola, will win this award handily. Navy again. lost their Ken best. Ken Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I knew I was going to botch that. But you caught me on that one. But he, you say whatever, however you pronounce it, you can pronounce it on a Coach of the Year word. Remember, he lost his best player. Keenan Reynolds, who set all records at Navy. Yeah. Many thought Navy was going to take multiple steps backwards. Nobody even thought they would contend for the American West Division title. And here they are uh, with a chance to wrap it up and win the division. So I think he wins the conference award if right now. Now, you know, if Navy blows it, then that could open up the door. Um, but I think he's going to get it. And usually the conference awards goes to the coaches that win the conference. That's kind of the unofficial rule on that. Uh, in that scenario, obviously. Now, look, if Scott and UCF, it doesn't mean Scott hasn't done a good job. He's done a very good job. Uh, but I, I, I don't see a six and six getting it done or even seven and five. I think if he goes to eight and four, then your argument just got a big boost because that is a huge turnaround to go to eight and four. So that's what, if from your standpoint and, uh, you know, from the, from that standpoint, I think you would have to root for that. As far as national is concerned, uh, to me, the head coach that's going to win that, in my opinion, is out west. All right, let's see if you can. You guess who it is? You probably don't even know I, who I'm going to mention. I, I'm, I'm going to guess Chris Peterson at Washington. He's under consideration. You're in the right conference, but I think Mike McIntyre at Colorado. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did mention him in the Eight. column too. Yeah, he's been uh, Colorado. I don't. I, how did Colorado get to ten wins all of a sudden? Eight and two, top ten in the country. That's who I think should get national. They were, I mean, he took over that program was a doormat. They were a disaster. They, nobody thought you could win in Colorado anymore. And here he is. He's turned it around. And I think he will get the national award. Uh, now, now here's the argument I'm going to make. I think Eric Chenander should get strong consideration for the Frank Broyles Award for the assistant coach. I think that's your, I think that's a better possibility because think of the turnaround that UCF defensively has had. Oh, yeah. And from the hundreds all the way to where they are now, which is a top 25, top 30 defense. I think that's your bet. He should be at least a finalist for that award. And I think that's your best shot as far as a UCF coach getting an award this year. I just don't see, uh, coach Frost getting. Uh, your call, but it was a nice read anyway, and you know it was a nice breakdown. Gee, thanks. <laughs> but let me let me get let me back you up on Eric Shenander. UCF's defense this year, 
20th in scoring defense, 29th in the country in in the country in total yep. defense. And this is the one that I think is the most impressive. Sixth in the nation in red zone defense. Yep. So we talked about how they would have to bend but not break, right? Well, they've been doing yep. a lot of that to their credit. The 45 possessions, they have given up 31 scores of some kind, which is you know, 68 percent, which is uh, which is the third, excuse me, the sixth lowest uh, in the nation behind Michigan, Colorado, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Auburn. So. Again, Eric Shenander, wow, what a job. that! We, and we've had some pretty good defensive assistants over the last few years, haven't we? We have. I mean, uh, Tyson Summers, mm-hmm. uh, certainly the one who's doing at Georgia Southern could be a potential bowl matchup there. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I think that's your strongest argument is I think you got a better shot with the Frank Boyle's work. Because I was trying to think who would be the front runner for that award right now, and I don't even know the answer to that question right now, top of my head. I don't, that, that could be one. That could be, by the way, another name for the head coaching coach of the year where it could be P.J. Fleck. If Western Michigan goes undefeated, they're going to might give it. So I, I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's one of those things where that's going to be tough to, for him to win. But he certainly, look, the staff's done a heck of a job. We're going to a bowl game and, uh, that's, that's a big plus, uh, for everybody all involved. And, and also because you get the extra three weeks of practice too. Yep, I think that's the, so key with a system that's less than, one year old. So the Knights get the 24 3 win uh, over Cincy. Um, and again, the defense was the key. You know, Mackenzie Milton had a had an all right game. He was, he was 22 of 34 for only 150 yards. Um, but when you look at the, uh, when you look at the summary, um, you know, you get the field goal from Matthew Wright earlier. You're up 10 0 in the first quarter. But then the defense just kind of turned it on. They get the touchdown off the block punt. Uh, the Juwan Hamilton touchdown run was uh, that capped it off was also based off of a uh, uh, was also based off of a turnover. So they've been given the offense short fields and they've been getting the job done. So the Knights get the win, and now here they are at six and four, four and two in the conference with two games left, and they're going up against this is the second best scoring defense in the American Conference, but now they're going up against the top two scoring offenses in the American Athletic Conference in Tulsa this week at home, and then at USF. So this is the big challenge. I think our schedule's been a little soft of late, Eric, and it's really going to toughen up. So what do you think the – so what do you, what, what, what stands out to you about this Tulsa matchup coming up? Well, you're right. I mean, it's going to be a big you know, challenge. Tulsa's a dynamic offense. Uh, Phillip Montgomery in his second year there as Boy, head this coach. this is like old-school Tulsa, isn't it, right? Yeah, we run a little bit of that Baylor offense. That's where uh, Philip Montgomery uh, come from, so the state of Texas there. Uh, they're, they're dynamic offensively. I'm interested to see how Tulsa will come out. Tulsa lost a tough game last weekend in Navy in a big showdown mm-hmm. for the West. They more than likely will end up settling the western side of the division. So the question is, does Tulsa bounce back emotionally from that big game loss to Navy? They got to fly out all the way to Orlando. Now they do, I think, catch a break in that the game's at 8 Eastern. So from a body standpoint, they'll be fine. It's not like they would be playing a noon game and it'd be 11 o'clock in Tulsa, like UCF had to do last year. So, um, you know, I think it's an interesting challenge. You're right. The big thing is the defense has got to get some help from the offense. If the offense can move the ball and keep the defense fresh and put some points on and play from ahead, then that's 
that's the key to me in this football game. If the offense sputters and and, and doesn't execute and, and has to punt the ball and you give Tulsa extra possessions, as we saw in the Tulsa game as an example, I think eventually a team like Tulsa will make plays. And that's my concern for this football game is if UCF's offense, which quite frankly has not set the world on fire, uh, they have struggled. Um, that's a concern that I have here going into the next two games, but specifically here with Tulsa, because if you don't, then you're going to put your defense in a really tough spot. So that's, to me, the, it, it, all the focus will be on the defense, but the, this is now where the offense has to step up and has to help this defense and by, because you're, I, there's no way they're going to, they're going to have to score points the next two weeks and then starting this Saturday night against Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa's been lighting the world on fire with their offense, and you mentioned their quarterback, Dane Evans, who's been uh, fantastic for quite some time for Tulsa. He's got 2,600 yards, uh, passing 22 touchdowns, nine picks on the year. Tulsa for the season averaging 517.5 yards of total offense, but what really impresses me is actually how balanced they've been. About 270 passing, about two, just under 250 rushing. They, which is not what we're used to from Tulsa. We're used to a really high-flying sort of pass-first offense. They've been very balanced this year, but they give up a lot of yardage at 433.4. Um, a note on Tulsa also, you know, we've suffered two heartbreaking losses in conference to Houston. We blew the big lead, and then obviously the Temple game, which is, just gets more and more heartbreaking every week when you consider, uh, you know, had we held on for one more second, um, the Knights could control their own destiny in the Eastern Division, but... Lest we forget, you mentioned the Navy game that Tulsa just dropped last week. They also lost at the goal line on the final play at Houston themselves, 38-31. Remember that game when Houston was ranked 13th in the country, um, where Evans hit the tight end, but he was stopped at the goal line on the final yep. play of the game. So two very similar teams that just, you know, obviously were 4-2 and two in conference. They're 4-2 and two in conference. Um, we are a two-point, excuse me, Tulsa is a two-point favorite in this game. Over-under is 65, so they're expecting a lot of points to be scored. But Tulsa, a two-point favorite on the road, although uh, ESPN's Power Football Index basically makes this a toss-up, 50.4% to UCF. Um, this is going to be a tight ball game, and you're, you're absolutely right, is that the, the key for the Knights is that the offense has to get it together and uh, score some points if the Knights are going to have a chance uh, in this game, because I have a feeling that the uh, the defense, as good as they as well as they have played to this season, they're going to really. This is probably their biggest challenge since the Michigan game, in terms of who they have, in terms of the scheme that they have to stop. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, so far this season, nine pi nine touchdowns, five picks. Um, he's got to get it together this week, doesn't he? Well, he does, but it's not just him. I mean, it's yeah, everybody it's around him as well. I mean, it's not just him. It's just this one person. I mean, you know, you got to run block a little bit better. You got to make the plays when they're there. Um, we're averaging because, about 167 yards a game rushing, but we're under 200 passing, and you, and that's cool. got to improve. No doubt, you got to set up, especially play action pass. No reason why you can't do that because uh, you can't. You can't depend on a block punt for a touchdown like you did against Cincinnati, or defensive touchdowns like you have against Tulane. And actually, had one against Cincinnati that was called back for taunting. So uh, you know that's going to be the key. And you know turnovers got to protect the football. You don't want to give. I mean, Tulsa's going to be tough enough offensively to deal with. You don't want to give them a short field. You want to make them go seventy or eighty. And I think that's UCF's been their 
philosophy, I think, from a defensive standpoint is, you know, go ahead and try to go 80 on us. And we're, we're going to make, we feel like we're going to make plays, either forcing a turnover, getting some pressure, or as you brought up earlier with the stats, uh, we're going to stop you in the red zone. And, uh, you know, where UCF has gotten themselves in trouble is turnovers and that the opponent has a short field. So that's another factor to keep an eye on the, in this game here on Saturday night. Tulsa, the eighth best total off, eighth highest total offense in the uh, country, just behind number seven, USF. And uh, it's going to be, boy, this is going to be a real challenge these next two weeks. We're really going to see what this defense is made of, and hopefully the offense can give them a little bit of a break, too. So, but I, now this is going to be the so you're saying there's a chance portion of the program, all right? Temple yeah. has not clinched the East yet. They can with one win. They have, uh, I had it pulled up a second ago. I don't know where, okay, there it is. They, the Owls have remaining at Tulane uh, this, this weekend and then at home against East Carolina on November the 26th. Both Tulane and ECU uh, are not very good. Tulane is uh, 0-6 in the league, 3-7 overall. East Carolina, 3-7, 1-5. But if... Temple somehow drops those two games and UCF wins against Tulsa, then the Knights would control their own, uh, uh, could, or no, they wouldn't control their own destiny. Well, actually, no, they would because if, two, because if Temple loses both those games the Knight, and the Knights b- defeat Tulsa, then that would set up a situation where the war on I-4 would be for the Eastern Division crown. And that's what makes it hurt because if UCF had hung on against Temple, they would be five and one right now. Temple would be four and two, and it would be UCF and South Florida heading into this weekend tied atop the East, and then it's just a race to the and then it's just a race to the finish. Well, I mean, no question about it. It is. Uh, I expect Temple to take care of Tulane. I mean, I saw Tulane; they're terrible. Yeah, I do uh, too. So I expect, in fact, I think by the time UCF's on the field against. Um, Tulsa, I think they'll be officially eliminated from the division race because yeah, the Temple that game against Tulane is at three thirty. So yeah, so you know, look, it is what it is. I mean, that's a, obviously a difficult one, but again, I mean, you know, as we talked about in the past, it's easy to look at it from a negative standpoint, and you know, what went around. Nobody was complaining when UCF was making comebacks in twenty thirteen, and you know, from twenty eight to seven against Louisville. We're not going to apologize for that. So I don't think it's fair to just say, man, you know, if only, you know, yeah. I mean, that's how sports works. You know, sometimes uh, the ball doesn't bounce your way. And uh, 2013, it did. And 2016, it didn't in that particular case. But I, I always feel like those type of things tend to even out uh, a little bit. So, you know, that that's... Is that it, not encouraging, know. though? Because here we are, freshman quarterback, first-year head coach, two freshman backs. The offense right. hasn't come together yet, and we know that the bread and butter of this system is the offense. We lost two games where we blew big leads, one of them at home, one of them we lost on the last play of the game. Right. Uh, to me, that's, you know, here I, someone's going to whack me for this and saying, oh, it, a moral victory, right? Well, let's think about where we were at this point last year. And now let's think about where we are this year. This is, I, it's, it's remarkable how much this team has improved. So, Frost for Coach of the Year 2016. All right, keep holding on to it. <laughs> All right. I would have gone with the chin entered. That would have been your best case. I think that would have been yeah, your best yeah, case. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. 
I, in fact, you should, that should be your next, that should be your next article. See, cause if you write that one, yeah, I think you got a better shot of looking really good and you could, you know, take a you know credit what? for that. One. You're absolutely right. That's a good point. That'll be what I write up next week. So Eric, so my Eric Commander piece. So perfect. All right. Yeah. Let's take a, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we got a special guest. Erin Campbell joins us, former UCF volleyball player. She currently works for the American Digital Network. She and some guy named Eric Lopez are going to be handling the call of uh, UCF's volleyball match this Friday night. We'll catch up with her in just a minute. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Let's switch gears and talk a little volleyball, Eric, because you got yourself a busy week this weekend, brother. Friday begins the night's final homestand. They're 21-8. and eight. They're coming off of uh, uh, a split on the road against Tulsa and SMU uh, from last weekend. and they, co- they, they come in against Temple and UConn. So the two Northeastern teams come down here Friday and Sunday. And you, Eric Lopez, will be on the mic for the Friday uh, 7 p.m. matchup on the American Digital Network, UCF against Tulsa. And you will be on there with former UCF volleyball player Aaron Campbell. Yeah, UCF versus Temple. Uh, That's the match on the American Digital Network, 7 o'clock. Looking forward to it. I know Aaron and I are looking forward to worked with her last year for the UCF Cincinnati match that was called on the American Digital Network. And look, a lot at stake in this match. Uh, UCF and Temple, 51 and 52 in the RPI. Both teams trying to make a, a late push to improve their candidacy to be in at large, possibly, for the NCAA tournament. You have a Temple team that finished second last year in the American Conference quietly, ended on a strong note. A veteran team, a program that's really it's been two similar programs in that they were at the bottom for a while, uh, five, six, seven years ago, and here they are. Went, you know, both programs over twenty wins. Uh, you know, Temple has a great player in Aram Ossi, who's in the top twenty in the nation in kills, mm-hmm. and uh, they're a dynamic team. And they, you know, they're trying to make a late push to go to back-to-back years of second place. I don't know if they can catch SMU. These two teams played in Philadelphia earlier this year. It was a wild match. UCF won the first two sets. Temple came back, won the third and the fourth, and UCF pulled it out in the fifth set. What's interesting is Temple comes into the venue undefeated on the road. They're 10-0, and actually, now. 10-0 and on the road, and uh, they have not lost on the road this year, which is fascinating to me. Plus, how about this stat? They're 19-7 overall coming in. They're going to approach the 20-win mark is basically their goal. Five of their seven losses have come in five-set matches this year. Wow. So <laughs> how about that? So, I mean, that's amazing to me. How close, and, you know, they, you know, Cincinnati was a five-set loss and all that. That's how close they've been really having to a great year. And one of those losses, obviously, was to UCF. So uh, looking forward to this match. And for UCF, as you know, they're back home. Uh, you know, and I, I, again, they don't have the tiebreakers against Cincinnati and SMU. I think UCF's probably going to have to win out to have a shot at either the conference title or maybe even second place. But I think as Todd Dashing will tell you, you know, they're trying to, you know, they got over 20 wins already. You beat a quality team like Temple that's right on the border of the top 50. That's two wins over Temple. 
and you can finish strong this year and tell the committee, hey, we're one of the hottest teams in the country. You know, send us to Gainesville or uh, Tallahassee or wherever uh, and make a statement that way. So I'm looking forward to seeing this match. Uh, and I think, uh, I think we, ex- I th- expect a really good match because I think these teams are evenly matched. And, uh, I think that both teams know what's at stake. All right. Let's go to, uh, our interview with former UCF volleyball player and current analyst on the American Digital Network, Aaron Campbell. And joining us now on the show, former UCF volleyball player, Aaron Campbell, who now does work with, uh, Bright House Sports Network covering high school and also now the American Digital Network where she will be working with Eric on an up, on the upcoming UCF Volleyball uh, homestand. Erin, what's going on? Not much. How are you guys? Thanks doing, for having me. Doing great. Thanks for coming on the show. It's always good to talk to you. It's always good to see you. I know you're still in town. I know you've been following your uh, alma mater throughout the year. And, you know, considering last year how the struggles that UCF had, uh, which, I, you know, which I think we all agree is pretty much rooted in the, uh, the injury bug that they caught, this year, everything's worked out for him, but you've been following the team. What have you seen? Uh, what have you seen has been the difference? You know, I think having the injured players back in has just completely brought the whole chemistry back together. I mean, there were some some key roles that graduated last year, but when you look at you know Jill Harvey and Kia Bright back on the outside, I mean, those two are so dynamic together, and they add so many different different levels of play to the game that they were kind of missing last year. You know, Jail Harvey is that big, powerful outside hitter. So she needs somebody that's a little bit more consistent. And that's where Kia Bright comes in. She's a really, really good, what we call L2, even though they run a six to setting, um, setting exchange, they still have to have these L1, L2 kind of identities just based on what the rotation is. So L1 is typically your big, powerful hitter, like Jill Harvey, and then your Kia Bright is more of a ball control player and more consistent over time. So having that addition back in it is vital to their role. And then Jordan Pingle, their libero, has improved so much over the offseason from her freshman year until, I'm sorry, from last year until now. She just reached a 1,000 digs already, and yeah. she's just playing phenomenal. She owns that backcourt, and I think – because her confidence has developed, she's been able to to take a lot of ownership on what goes on on the backside of the backside of the net and is playing phenomenal defense all the way around. Aaron, has it surprised you though? They got 21 wins. You know, we we saw them up close last year when we called the Cincinnati match, and and you know things were not well. I mean, you mentioned the injuries, but yet it, they seem to have clicked from day one, and and that's the exciting thing is you know they lost some pretty important players from last year's team, and yet they've kind of gelled and been at the high level at the the American Conference this season. Yeah, I think that they've had some losses that have kind of made them a little bit mad. So the Southern Illinois loss was probably one of their, one of the most important, I think, for morale because they went five and they lost that. And that was a really, really tough match. Then they go to LSU and they lose in five, which is another, you know, kind of perennial power in in volleyball. So ever since then, they've been able to really – Um, come together as a team and just play phenomenal volleyball. And I think that, you know, last year they were having, because of the injuries, they weren't really sure what was going to happen in the setting position. So I think the 6-2, because it adds another attacker on the right-hand side, has been vital to them to scoring points and staying in matches. And I think that's really the key to them being this, um, you know, 725 winning percentage team. 
I'm looking at the standings right now, Aaron, and in the last four matches, they have only one against the team that's ahead of them in the standings, and that's Temple. Uh, and uh, after that, it's uh, UConn, uh, Tulane, and Houston. And so, you know, this this Temple match is so critical because obviously it's going to help out. You know, you can help out your RPI also, but you want to get that critical win because you want to boost yourself heading into that last weekend with with SMU, Cincinnati, and Temple above above them. So, how big is this Temple match going to be on uh, Friday night? I think it's going to be huge because I think this is, you know, obviously every coach has at the beginning of the season, they set goals. And one of the things that I know that Todd wanted this year, Coach Dagenet wanted this year was a repeat in the or another opportunity to play in the tournament. So right now they really have to focus in on what they want to do. You know, if you're kind of in the middle of the pack, you don't want to leave yourself up to an at-large bid. They, you know, they say in the UFC, you don't want to leave it up in the hands of the judges. It's kind of the same thing. You don't want, you want to control your own destiny. So for them to make the tournament, they really, really need to go on a tear on these last few matches so that they can be in a good position to, to control the conference. You're right, Aaron. And, you know, it's one of the things you and I will probably talk about during the broadcast, trying to get that elusive at-large. The American Conference has never had an at-large team coming in, but this is certainly the year that it could happen. UCF's got a 51 RPI. Temple's at 52. SMU, who leads the conference, is at 39. And then Cincinnati, a team that uh, you and I are very high on, 34 RPI. So it's very competitive at the top. And you're right. You, every, this is a pivotal match with Temple team that it, the thing that impresses me, Aaron, they're nine and zero on the road is Temple. Yeah. So you talk about that is impressive. It you could relate. Um, winning on the road is not easy, and Temple's actually been more successful on the road than they've been at home. And that's that's crazy because you're so out of your element. You know, you're waking up at different times. You're in a hotel room, but I think that talks a lot about the Temple's coaching staff to be able to to put them in adverse situations where they've just been able to respond on the road, and you know it's not so much in football or it's not so much in volleyball like it is football to have those road wins, but to be, to have that definitive of a record when you're not even in your home gym is critical. And that's why they're, they are so competitive in, in this um, 2016 rankings. How has the game changed to Aaron from when you played at UCF to now in the college game? What, what have you noticed? Is there any drastic differences uh, from what you see now in the college game? when you played at UCF to what you see now, or is it pretty much still similar to, uh, to what, when you played? But I see changes at the high school level. Like I'm watching these girls. I had to do the state finals this past week for the state of Florida. I'm looking at these girls. I'm like, she's a sophomore. Like she's a sophomore <laughs> in high school. She's swinging like a sophomore in college. Like they, it's just getting more powerful. Players are getting stronger. They're getting smarter. And then you're getting taller outsides because you, the, the FIVB and all of the volleyball entities below it added a another substitution into the rankings. What we're finding is that they can sub in more people so they have bigger, taller, more powerful outsides. They don't have to be good passers. Now, if you run a 6-2, it's a little bit more challenging because you still are subbing a lot. But, man, you can have these girls that are 6-3, 6-4, 6-5 on the outside, and my measly 5-9 you know, height is just, well, I can't compete with that. You know, I'm five, nine, which was in my time, kind of the, the height that you wanted your outside to be are now liberos because we're so short compared to what everybody else is doing. So we're seeing that the game's getting a lot taller and a lot more powerful. What is it that let's talk about, you know, 
right now in terms of like what is it that you learned about Coach Dagenet in the two years that you were there? Because you were right there in that transition between um, between Meg Colado and then moving into the Todd Dagenet era. What was the biggest change that Todd instituted when he took over the program? Well, I think because he worked with Todd Haley at USC, who is one of the best fundamental coaches in the game, um, that was definitely something he focused on. And it, it's funny, I was actually, I was able to spend some time with one of my former teammates who now lives in Colorado. She was in Florida this week, so I went over and saw her. And what we had talked about was he was so good about teaching the fundamentals and how to get your feet to the ball. Something as simple as that, the training was just completely different. And Meg was very competitive and she wanted to run you to the ground and she wanted to make you hate losing, which I loved about her. Um, but Todd really gave us the tools to, to be able to implement things in the game so that we wouldn't lose. And we already had that competitive spirit within us because she had built that. So now we're adding another level to our, our game. And he just really focused on improving our overall volleyball IQ and our skill set so that we could be more competitive in the conference. And it was Conference USA at the time. And, and he's done an amazing, amazing things in that conference. And then now you look at what he's done in the American conference. It's just unbelievable. So what percentage chance would you give UCF right now of maybe winning the conference outright? Right now they're at 11-5. and five. They're three games in the lost column behind SMU, uh, two games behind Cincinnati in second place. I know it's going to be tough, but what percentage chance would you assign it right now? Well, you know, I don't know. I kind of don't know what the schedules look like for – here we go. So SMU plays Tulsa. So, you know you – what? Know, that was a crappy question. Can I re-ask it? Yeah, and that was a really crappy answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That time, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Let, let me rephrase that. All right, here we go. So right now UCF is still in fourth place, even though they are 11-5 and five in the conference. SMU is leading at 14-2. and two, So UCF is three matches behind. But like we said, there's no conference tournament in the American. So what percentage chance do you think UCF has of getting into the NCAA tournament, regardless of whether or not they – pull it off and win the conference you know they need a lot of things to happen in your in their favor so tulsa and smu are playing on on wednesday so if, if we could get tulsa to steal a match from smu they play another time before the end of the season if i'm not mistaken um we need we need somebody to steal some wins from from smu and it's, it's a hard thing to do because, you know, as the season progresses, teams get better. Um, and usually the teams at the top of the conference continue to get better. So we need somebody to just come in and sneak um, a win off of them. And then if Cincinnati can drop a set to, to a competitive team, that would definitely put us in a good position. So right now, I think our chances are between 60 and 75 percent to make it into that conference. But you never know. That's what's so interesting about volleyball. I mean, you could have the top team in the country. I mean, look at. What happened to Clemson and Pitt last weekend? I mean, somebody can come out of nowhere and take down that perennial power, and it's just any given day. So we kind of need the volleyball gods to work in our favor to help one of those top teams um, maybe drop a match or two between now and the end of the season. But if that happens, then I think that UCF's chance of making to the tournament is exceedingly improved. Well, and, and Aaron, I'll, I'll plug ourselves here on the American Digital Network, the match we're calling Friday night. I think it's critical for both UCF and Temple. I think Temple's thinking the same thing. They're thinking they're trying to get to in that large. These two teams played in Philadelphia earlier this year. It was a wild match. UCF 
jumped out to a two-set lead. Temple came back, won the third in the fourth set. UCF, uh, UCF held on and won a tight fifth set. So it's a big swing match. If UCF wins this, they would have the tiebreaker over Temple by sweeping him. Temple's trying to even it up. The thing that's going to hurt UCF here, Jeff, to answer your question, and I think, Aaron, you would agree with this, they lose head-to-head with Cincinnati. They lost twice to Cincinnati. They've yeah. lost twice to SMU. So that's going to probably knock them out of any realistic chance of a regular season title. I think with Todd Dejan and UCF's hoping you got to finish strong. And you always hear this from committee regardless of the sport. How you finish the year. Are you playing your best volleyball? And, and where do you finish up in the standings? My hope is, Aaron, regardless whether UCF gets in or not, I hope this league gets multiple bids because I think it's that good of a league. And we talked last year, Jordan Thompson, you were you were, you were were impressed with Jordan Thompson, who might be the player of the year this year in the American from Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, she was just – she's an incredible volleyball player. And I think that, you know, having people that play that level of volleyball, I mean, it's comparable to Big Ten, Big 12. I mean, we're seeing – teams in the Big 12, that is one of the hardest conferences right now. Kansas is playing phenomenal volleyball. You know, Texas Tech is playing incredible. You always see the Big 10. Iowa's actually in the middle of the pack now, which they used to be at the bottom. And so now that they've moved up in the rankings, it's just improving every conference and having somebody like a Big 10, Big 12 player in the American conference. I mean, it just shows how much this, this conference is growing and how much more competitive these teams are. And it, this is a tough, tough conference to play volleyball in. No, I just wanted to say, you know, we haven't talked, you know, Erin's now a color analyst. She's, she's like everywhere. She's Miss Volleyball. She does, of course, American Digital Network, does Bright House, does the high school, which also is now known as Spectrum, and does some ESPN3. How are you enjoying the, uh, the broadcasting side of volleyball as opposed to playing? I love it. You know, I, I don't play as much as I'd like. And, you know, I definitely don't coach. So it's my way to get back to the sport. And I just love to see how competitive the lower level of volleyball becomes. You know, I've had the ability to work with ESPN3 at these AAU volleyball tournaments. And these 12-year-olds are playing for a national title. And they're good. You know, it's not just keep the balloon off the floor. It's like set plays and they're running tempo sets. And you're just, your mind is just blown by what they can do. So, you know, I love to see how competitive the volleyball game is and to see kind of what the trends are up and coming. And um, it's just a really unique position to be in, to be able to see volleyball at all levels and, and and be able to watch it and rather than just coach it and be super immersed into it. I get to, to really take a backseat to it and, and learn more about it. So what else are you doing during the day, Aaron? You catch up the UCF fans on your uh, goings on. Yeah, I own a digital marketing company, so we do everything and everything online, anything and everything online. So social media campaigns, website design, email marketing, all that stuff. So I am usually out and about and running around and handing out business cards like crazy. And then um, on the weekends, working to facilitate projects. And I love it. My dad and I are in business together. And eventually, we want to grow it to, to be a student athlete Um student athlete heavy company so we want to eventually hire more student athletes because we feel that you know a lot of kids come out of college and they don't really know what they want to do and they they don't have a lot of experience but they have what i call the intangibles of the hard work showing up on time understanding time management you know where other people can write that on their resume we feel that student athletes actually know what skills it takes to 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 do all of those things and be successful in the real world they just don't necessarily get a chance all the time so our goal eventually is to grow it to be a, a huge um, student-athlete company that does digital marketing. So it's, it's an exciting time, and I'm super busy, but I love it. And, um, 
you know, volleyball is the time that I get to take a break from all of the craziness of the day-to-day world. Well, you know, you're still one of the most beloved players here at UCF uh, from your playing days because, you know, we, I, I know that I personally enjoyed watching you the time that you were here. I know a lot of fans did. And uh, and I know that the work that you did and your teammates did at the at the very start of that transition sort of laid the groundwork for the success that UCF has had on the volleyball floor the last couple of years. So it's going to be good to see you. Uh, and when are we going to see you again for this match again with the American Digital Network? It's on Friday. We are at UCF and we are playing at 7 p.m. versus Temple at the venue. All right. And all three of us will be there, by the way, because you you guys, Eric and Aaron, you'll be handling the uh, broadcast on the American Digital Network. I will be on the PA mic in the venue. So so we're getting the band back together. Love it. Yeah. It'll be. It'll be more of me, like, just writing her coattails, pretty much, is how that would go on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the pro. I'm <laughs> just I'm just there to talk. <laughs> kind of like the, the guy who thing, sat next to Bob Euchre in Major League, right? <laughs> the funny thing, I'll never forget, I think, Aaron, you were, like, a grad student at the time when it was 2010. I'm doing softball, and you were helping out with the softball program. I think wow. you were helping out with the communication yeah. department, right? And I put yeah, you in on the broadcast for a UCF East Carolina game. You're like, what do you think you yeah, that was your debut. I, who would have thought? Six years later, here you are doing yeah. uh, broadcasting. I'm very, I'm always I'm still proud of as you. Nervous. I'm still as nervous doing broadcasts <laughs> from that one to all the ones that I've done until this point. I'm still just as nervous. That's, a, that's normal, though. That's normal. That's, trust me, it's goose. That means you got goosebumps. You know, if you, the day you're not nervous means it's probably the day you need to get out. That's what I've been that's told as broadcasting advice. But I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for all the work you've done, Brock. You're, you're fantastic. I'm super excited to work with you once again and having the opportunity for the American Digital Network and fortunate we've got a great match between two good programs, Temple and UCF. Very exciting volleyball. We encourage people to come out as well. If you can't watch it, go out, watch it, and you can watch us on archive as well. So that, that, it's going to be fun. And last thing, Aaron, how can people get in touch with you if they want to if they want to give you a shout out? Yeah, sure. You can call me at any time, um, 407-637-7059, or you can find me on Twitter at EWardWSI, and I will be quick to respond because I'm a social media addict. <laughs> you and us both. So thanks again. Aaron Campbell, former UCF volleyball player and current analyst for the American Digital Network. I'll see you on Friday, Aaron. Sounds good. See you then. Bye, guys. All right. And once again, big thanks to Aaron for uh, joining us. You can catch her and Elo this Friday night on the American Digital Network, which is on YouTube, Eric Lopez, by the way, in addition to theamerican.org. UCF against Temple. That match starts at 7 p.m. Friday night at the venue. Be there or be square. And if you can't, watch Eric and Aaron and uh, make sure you support two UCF folk. Uh, taking care of that matchup. Then it's Sunday against UConn for the Knights, and then uh, and that's Senior Day. And uh, if you can't make it to Temple, try and come out to that one because uh, uh, we'll be bidding goodbye to uh, a pretty good group of seniors for UCF Volleyball. Sunday at 1 p.m. Uh, is that matchup, UCF against UConn. And just four volleyball matches left, and uh, hopefully the Knights can uh, wrap up, wrap them up, finish strong here to close out the season and get, like you were saying, Eric, one of those uh, at-large bids. All right. Little news to pass along here, which uh, broke earlier this week um, following the conclusion of the men's soccer uh, schedule. Uh, UCF uh, decided to let Brian Cunningham go. The head coach of men's soccer uh, finishes, he coached for a decade at UCF. Um, uh, it was a tough year this year. They were ravaged with injuries um, and, a biz- and just bizarre quirks of scheduling where they had three 
games canceled. Um, the Knights managed to, like we talked about last week, sneak into the conference tournament um, thanks to a big win and some dominoes falling their way. They went to double OT against USF, the one seed, uh, and then came up short in the American Athletic Conference uh, Championship. So um, Brian Cunningham is let go. F- finishes with a record over 10 seasons of 71, 82, and 28. Took the Knights to the NCAA tournament twice, back-to-back, 2010 and 2011. Of course, one of those years he had that big win against USF in, uh, on UCF's field in the first round of the NCAA uh, the quote from uh, this is the quote from uh, Danny White in the statement that UCF released. Uh, we have determined that our quote we have determined that our men's soccer program needs a change in leadership. We are grateful for Brian's hard work and the dedication he and his staff have shown over the past ten years. Brian and his staff have worked diligently to ensure our student athletes become successful young men. However, we expect our men's soccer team men's soccer program excuse me to compete for American Athletic Conference championships and make regular NCAA postseason appearances. Here's Brian Cunningham quote. I want to thank all of our former players and alums. I want to thank former director of athletics, Keith Tribble, for giving a young head coach a chance 10 years ago. I want nothing but the best for the future of the program. I'm proud of what we accomplished. Someone is going to inherit a great group of young men, end quote, Brian Cunningham. So um, it's tough because, you know, I've known Brian for uh, a while myself. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was great when we did the sports night show. Uh, sad to see him go, but, you know, uh, we, you know, I, I hate saying that, you know, to some extent the writing was on the wall when you finished the season at 5-11, and 11, but, um, but Danny White has, uh, has standards, and, uh, and he expects them to be, uh, to be met, and this is what he did at Buffalo, and then he's doing it here at UCF. So uh, I'm going to miss Brian, but he'll land on his feet somewhere. He's an excellent soccer coach. Um, and uh, now the search begins for a men's soccer coach, Eric, so uh, – well, what does UCF do now in terms of men's soccer? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, that's this is really intriguing, be, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, you know, we'll see what Brian does. It's some people have already uh, speculated. Uh, the Buffalo head coach had to come out with a statement that he was happy at Buffalo. That was a guy that Danny White hired, and they've turned the Buffalo soccer program around. Uh, yeah, for Brian, it's tough. You know, I mean, recruiting can't. You know, he's gotten top-notch players to go to the NPF, developed them to go to the NPF. Um, they made the NCAA tournament back to back years, 2010 and 2011. And they just, since then, just, it just never seemed to click each year. Something would go haywire, whether it be health of a team or injuries, uh, or, or maybe, uh, just shorthanded in certain positions. And, you know, it's unfortunate, uh, for him in that standpoint. And, uh, you know, it's tough because uh, the expectations are always high in the in UCF and soccer and, it's tough enough because you know you're in the shadow, if you will, a little bit with UCF women's soccer. So you're always going to be compared to them, and uh, I, I that's always been tough as well. And um, you know, I think he he has nothing to you know. It's one of those things that nothing you know. You hold your head high. Uh, I thought he did he did some great yeah. things. I mean, look at like I said, you go look up an MLS roster there's a lot of ucf players out there sean johnson uh, haji barry we went over some of those uh some of those names too and you know he has developed talent but you know at the end of the day you got to get the wins right and, uh, well by the way the it, buffalo it, it, coach it, you were talking about Stu riddle uh coached the yep. uh the the bulls to the mac final where they lost uh to akron two to one but this year they finished 12 four and three and a final rpi of yep. 50 that's the highest rpi to close out the season wow in uh, UB history. 
It's pretty good. Um, you know, I watched that USF match double overtime, Jeff, and in a lot of ways it was kind of a, the, the description of the team. You know, they got off to a good start. I thought outplayed USF, led one nothing, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they had the one nothing lead, and uh, USF scored about I think it was late second half, tied it up, sent the match to overtime, and it was back and forth. And I really thought it was headed towards penalty kicks, and it even crossed my mind like, wow, you know, you know, you could have men's and women's soccer seasons both come down to penalty kicks, and uh, USF snuck in a goal right there in the second overtime to win it all of a sudden. So tough way to go out. Um, but it'll be interesting who they hang, uh, come out with uh, for men's soccer. And it's always been interesting, men's soccer, because men's soccer in college is weird because a lot of schools don't play men's college soccer, at least right. a lot of the big – like Florida doesn't play it. Florida, Florida State, State doesn't. Uh, US, right. USF does. Miami doesn't. Correct. Uh, now, part of that is Title IX. Uh, a lot of schools, for example, like Florida State and, you know, Florida, they'll use – they'll instead of playing uh, – Men's soccer, they'll go with men's track and field, for example, or men's track team. Uh, and some people have brought that up uh, in the past with UCF of maybe having a men's track team because uh, they don't have one. They have a men's soccer team. And, you know, and then it goes into Title IX, and it's a lengthy. We're not going to get into that. But as a result, men's soccer is kind of interesting because you have one of the power programs like Akron, for example, or is considered right. a power program in men's soccer. So it's a very – I know a lot of people are like, well, why can't UCF be very much better in men's soccer? And it's not as simple because men's college soccer is just very unique from that standpoint. I mean, you know, not every school plays it. Uh, and, and in a way, schools like Akron uh, put more of a priority in men's soccer than, say, another, you know, power school bite. Right. So, the other uh, thing, too, is, is, pretty- is, you know, I mean, these these kids, you know, they don't. They don't go into to college to play soccer. You know, no. most of the guys are international guys who come over to get an American yeah. education. But you know, the the you know, if you're a good American soccer player and you're young, you're not going to play college soccer. You're going to go into like Generation Adidas or one of those things. You know, and UCF right. has lost players who were very good to the Generation Adidas contracts. It's kind of like baseball in that respect. Yeah, that's a good comparison uh, to a degree. Yeah, I mean. You're right. Men's college soccer is not the, the 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 stepping stone, if you will, for the best soccer players in the world. Uh, it's getting better. Uh, it's getting better, but uh, it's not at that high level, and it's not, like I said, a huge priority. I mean, I'm women's co- women's college soccer is the more popular of the two. Right. Uh, more people, more schools play women's college soccer. More college soccer players in women's soccer end up playing for team you know, the U.S. national team, for example, uh, and are more well known. So. You know, that's the challenges that you have, and it's tricky if you're in the men's, you know, for example, North Carolina has a very good men's soccer program, very good. They've, they've been a national contender. Nobody really, but they're, they're overshadowed by the women's, which is the greatest women's soccer program out there. So right. there there are challenges from that standpoint. It's very unique, and that'll be interesting to see who the next head coach does with that. But certainly uh, a very strange year where you have both the women and the men not making the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's been weird, Jeff. I'll be honest. I, I, it, it, I'm so used to looking at brackets for soccer tournaments at this time, and I, I, it's like it just feels weird. It's just like where, 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 where's UCF? So yeah, it's a bummer. Um, it's definitely a bummer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Danny White does and where, what direction he goes. Uh, for a men's soccer coach, that'll be an interesting search, and that's the thing. I mean. For anybody to suggest they can predict what he's going to do, I mean, I don't. I mean, who would have thought John Roddick, for example, you could have gotten out of Oklahoma 
to uh, for men's tennis. Right. Uh, Johnny Dawkins for men's basketball. Scott Frost, Coach Abe, women's basketball. So, um, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see what your, what 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 he could what what does he pull off from a men's soccer standpoint. Greg Lovelady came from Wright State, so uh, that'll be interesting to me. Yeah, you know, you know how you knew that soccer was weird. Remember, we were conference when we were in Conference USA, and uh, two of the schools that were with us in Conference USA were Kentucky and South Carolina. Yeah, because there's no SEC men's soccer, right? So. Yeah, I'm interested to see what uh, what Danny White does, as always. It seems now with these hires, and uh, and one last note on that. You know, I wanted to uh, personally thank Coach Cunningham for being uh, not just a friend of this program, but a friend of the previous programs that you know that at least I did, and you know we've had him uh, interview multiple times, and um, you know I, I interviewed him multiple times when I was doing the TV show. So thanks to Coach, we appreciate you and. Uh, Stay in touch, and we know you'll be uh, we know you'll be uh, stalking the sidelines somewhere, someplace else, much more, much sooner rather than later. So, um, so, right, so thanks once again to Coach Cunningham. All right, uh, moving along, let's finish out with a little basketball. Uh, I was at the uh, the women's home opener, UCF, um, getting the victory against South Alabama and Coach Abe's first uh, home game. The Knights. Uh, Struggled a little bit, I thought, in the first half, but then pulled away in the third and then later in the fourth quarter. Uh, Zai Lewis was key uh, for UCF in that matchup, and Coach Abe uh, spoke after the game. Uh, we'll have a little bit of that here in just a second. But, you know, the Knights got the win over South Alabama, and they won again today. So the uh, UCF women's team right now is 3-0 and under, uh, under Coach Abe. They defeat Davidson by 19 points tonight. 57 to 38. Um, and then, of course, men's basketball gets a victory in their opener in uh, convincing fashion as well. So the Knights, uh, uh, at least the women's team, has won uh, in double digits in uh, each of their first three games. They got Virginia Tech on uh, Saturday coming up at home at CFE Arena. But uh, uh, Coach Abe, you know, getting off to a good start. You know, she talked about buying in, and uh, here's a little bit of what she had to say uh, after the game about getting the younger players um, to buy in. And I think it's really it's for them to see that they can and they will, and and that it's going to be earned and not given. I wrote that on the board. This this we got to earn this. You know, it's not just because Coach Abe's here that we're going to win games. It's going to be them buying into what we're saying you know, staying focused on what we need to do, what this new coaching staff wants to do. Um, and so I'm excited for them because now they're going to buy in 100%. When more wins come, you buy in 100%. When I was at Albany, we, we won five in a row, and it was over. They bought in immediately. Um, so I, I just think with the, these ladies that um, the buy-in is there now. I mean, I don't know. You could probably ask Fifi, but um, – Hopefully we can stay injury free. And, you know, I asked her, at, uh, you know, after the game, I said, you know, coach, you got uh, a bunch of players learning a new system. Right. And it looked like sometimes the calls that you were making, um, everyone was kind of unsure of themselves because, you know, she would say she would call out a play and then she would say, does anyone know what this means? And uh, and it seemed like and it was echoing through the arena. And I was like, you know, I, and I was like, you know, I know how everyone in this situation feels. Right. The, the coach is like, guys, we went over this. What's, you know, wh- why are you freezing up now? And then the players are like, oh, 
okay, okay, I remember what that play is, right? Everyone get into the right spot, and then let's run it. And, um, and it's weird, because you could see how they were trying to figure it out. But they seem to be figuring it out quite well. I mean, they, they, they've won all three games by double digits, haven't they? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, they've done a good job there. They've played well defensively. Uh, you know, a lot of players, these players are back from last year's team, and I know that they didn't go well last year, but that means there's, there's experience. And I think the, with the new coach, you're off to a good start. They're listening, got a good staff. Uh, that's a good start. Three and out. We'll learn more, I think, Saturday when they face eight Virginia Tech from the ACC and kind of get a better feel for what kind of team this is. But if you're Coach Abe, I think, uh, so far, so good. You got three and out, two road wins. You know what's amazing about this team? Picture this. Uh, through the first two games, Knights have only taken 13 three point shots. And Coach Abe talk, talked about that after South Alabama. I never want to shoot threes ever in my life. I'm like old school. I never want to shoot threes, right? But if they're wide open and they're hitting them, then we can shoot them. I am really shocked Josh hit a three, but she had to, and it went in. But I, I'm not a big – I want to get to the foul line, get, get just get people on the hills, take it at them, take it at them. I don't really want to shoot threes, to be honest. I At Albany, we never shot threes. A 10 is, is the most I would ever want to shoot, ever, ever, ever. They, I mean, they shot 20. That's a lot, and they only made seven. So those are high, those are low percentage shots, and then boom, we get the rebound, and then boom, we're going transition-wise. So, nope, you're not going to see us shoot a lot of threes unless we get, like, Steph Curry coming in here next year. So Fifi Endor is going to be the one who uh, gets, a lot of, gets a lot of work done. She's the leading scorer right now through the first three games. And, uh, and yeah, she wants to pound the ball inside. She wants to avoid taking threes, which, is, uh, which to me is a little bit surprising this day and age, but... You know, who might argue with her at least at this point? Because you know, there she is with this. You know, she she wore her Albany uh, conference championship ring um, on the sideline, and I'm like, that's that's a pretty. I met her at media day, and I'm like, that's a pretty impressive piece of hardware that you got there, coach. So um, you know, she wasn't afraid to show that thing off. So hopefully, we can get a. You know, we're on the way to getting a couple more of those over here at UCF under Coach Abe. Now, as far as Johnny Dawkins is concerned, the, uh, the basketball team 1-0 with a resounding 24-point victory over Nichols State on uh, Monday. Uh, and uh, a little note for you also, stay tuned uh, to this feed this week because we'll have our men's basketball preview coming up, our uh, procrastination station, if you will. Um, we got uh, B.J. Taylor. And also uh, Mike O'Donnell, our special guest, and uh, talking UCF men's basketball, previewing the American. And, uh, and we touched upon this game a little bit more in depth, but just to go over things, I thought that UCF uh, was quite impressive in this game, considering that, you know, yeah, they're a little short on depth, but um, the starting five that they have has been, has, you know, looked pretty good. B.J. Taylor had um, 14 points in 27 minutes. Uh, Matt Williams led the team with 20 points. Six of 11 threes. Taco Fall got into the act. He had 16 points and 16 boards. Always good to get a first win, though, uh, on the home floor if you're Johnny Dawkins, right, Elo? That's the way you got to start it, especially with a tough tournament coming up in Charleston starting on Thursday. Got Mississippi State playing in Charleston. Then you got the either Boise State or the College of Charleston, the host team. So important to get off to a good start at home. And, and a team that's quite honest is we went into it with Mike. Uh, it's a short-handed roster, yeah. uh, so things have to break right. But it was good to see B.J. Taylor back on the court. Memory missed all of last year. Uh, I thought Taco Fall looked very good, very 
much more uh, uh, comfortable, uh, not as robotic. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are positive signs if you're the Knights. Yeah, Taco looked smooth in that game, I thought. It, you know, yep. it, it was, uh, um, he didn't move. So there were times, I think, last year, like he looked like he moved like he was a 7'6 guy. And he doesn't, he, he did not look like he, he did not run the floor like a seven, like, like a seven, six guy in this game. I thought he looked, uh, he looked uh, much more smooth. Um, looks like the, the, the off season in the weight room has done him a world of good. I'll tell you, it really did BJ Taylor a lot of good because when I saw him at media day, the kid was built like a tank. Holy smokes. He was, uh, he's pretty, uh, he looks like he was getting ready for Mr. Universe and, if he's going to be taking the ball to the hole, he's going to have to bulk up. So, Knights are one and zero. Like you talked about, Eric, they got the they got the tournament coming up, and we'll see how they come out of that on the other end after those three games, uh, including uh, well, at least one of them uh, against uh, against major conference uh, talent. So, uh, with Mississippi co- uh, as their opener on November seventeenth in Charleston. Those games, by the way, ESPN two against Mississippi State five p.m. Thursday, uh, and then the Knights are on ESPN U. On November 18th, Friday, time to be determined. But that tournament is going to be televised on ESPNU. Not sure about Sunday just yet. So uh, no television has been announced. We don't know the opponent yet. But um, nonetheless, chance to see the Knights on ESPN2. So, all right, Eric, what are you looking forward to uh, this weekend here? Well, I'm looking forward to the uh, Temple-UCF match. Get to call that with Aaron. So that'll be fun on Friday night. Uh, And then, obviously, the Tulsa football game is very interesting to see how this team comes out. Last home game for them. Uh, trying to get that seventh win, and uh, that's so. Those are a couple of things that jumps out. I mean, even the men's basketball team, Mississippi State, playing them right off the bat, SEC school. I mean, it's a pretty good weekend from a UCF standpoint. I mean, you got basketball going on, as you mentioned, televised football against Tulsa, and you got a little volleyball against Temple. I mean, no, the critical, critical matches. Yeah, so you know, we're like I said, we're plowing through this point right now with volleyball coming to an end. Soccer's in the books, but. Uh, down the stretch with coming football. I'm looking forward to seeing how this defense stacks up against Tulsa. That should be a lot of fun. So, Eli, I know you've had a busy week. What are you up to the remainder this week in addition to the American Digital stuff? Well, I'm, uh, certainly I'll be calling that, and then I will be uh, filling in on the uh, football pregame show uh, there for uh, Scott Adams, who's going to be calling men's basketball this weekend in Charleston, so I'll be filling in for him. So check out UCFnights.com for the details of uh, listening to the UCF football broadcast in the pregame. Good stuff. And like I said, don't forget we have our basketball preview coming up a little bit later this week, as soon as I get the time to edit it. we got a, I got a busy couple days, too, taking care of some business. But uh, then we'll be plowing through that. And, of course, uh, don't forget we got our uh, – I got into a little bit more writing. I want to get a little bit more of that in there. I kind of got so busy getting the podcast ready to go that, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of put down writing for a little bit. But – uh, I got a new column up there, of course, talking about Scott Frost being National Coach of the Year. And I'm sure Eric Lopez, just for you, I'll put together that thing on Eric Shenander this weekend. Beautiful. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Talk to you later, Jeff. All right, fans. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, all on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. For Eric Lopez, I am Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you later.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.